Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 7.46 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 3rd of June, 2021. It's Thursday for you. And this is episode 431 of Bitcoin. And if you want to help out the show, you can listen to this podcast. Instead of listening to it on your regular podcasting thing, you can listen to it on the Breeze Wallet and stream me sats on a value-to-value model with podcasting 2.0, courtesy of Adam Curry. Anyway, let's dump into the news. we got Kanan Mining, the guys that make mining rigs, trying to give us a hand up here. Uh, says uh, Namsios from Bitcoin Magazine that Bitcoin mining rig manufacturer Kanan argues against the Chinese crackdown. So they're going to bat for us. We should at least, you know, give them, give them a round of applause. Representatives of major Chinese Bitcoin mining rig maker Kanan Incorporated have argued that the industry diminishes energy waste, helps create jobs and nourishes the local economy as China has been recently cracking down on the practice. Quote, for-profit miners prefer regions with low electricity prices that indicate oversupply and likely energy waste, Kane and CEO Zhang Nengjang said during an earnings conference call, according to Reuters. Quote, Bitcoin mining uh, also helps create jobs in impoverished regions and contribute to fiscal coffers, end quote. Nanjing also argued that although Bitcoin mining plants that utilize fossil fuel hamper China's green efforts, of which there are none, those powered by renewable and sustainable resources should not be affected by the crackdown. Kanan's comments follows a statement from the Financial Stability and Development Committee of China State Council from May the 21st. The statement said that the government would crack down on Bitcoin mining and trading behavior and resolutely prevent the transfer of individual risks to the society, end quote. China's apparent efforts to hone down on Bitcoin mining have apparently been impacting the activity. Furthermore, Nanjing or Zhang said uncertainty support or said uncertainty generated by such policies leads miners to leave China causing some of Canaan's clients to stop placing new orders for mining equipment. According to Reuters, overseas markets generated 78.4% of the Chinese Bitcoin mining rig makers' revenues in the first quarter of 2021, compared to only 4.9% in the same period of 2020. A country as big as China banning Bitcoin mining might seem like a major detriment to the network at first, however... Some have argued the exact opposite, including CoinMetrics co-founder Nick Carter, who posted a video explaining his reasoning. In essence, he claimed that by forcing mining out of China, Bitcoin's carbon emissions would be reduced without negative impact on the network's security. And that's true. That's the end of the article, but I agree with I agree with Nick. The only thing here, the only thing about Nick's argument is that it's sort of paying homage to the ESG narrative, which is all bullshit in the first place. But I, I, I get where Nick's going because there is definitely a valid argument to be made that we could definitely go ESG compliant all the way. If, we, if, we, if Bitcoin mining wanted to, there's, there's just no end to the amount of energy that's out there. All you got to do is figure out a way to make low yield shit work and guess what low yield is stuff. Nobody wants that piles up in gigantic piles of crap that end up being a nuisance. You figure out a way to get rid of that, convert most of it into electricity, use that electricity to mine Bitcoin. And all of a sudden you're doing a service to the community. Right, you're getting rid of the giant piles of garbage, okay? And I'm not talking about like city dump garbage. I'm I'm talking about like wood waste, 
in other low yield situations like you know forestry operations generate a lot of slash because you got to delimb you know all the trees the problem is this is you know like those kinds of operations are out in the middle of nowhere but you could fly in you know you could fly in a couple of things you know a couple of burners and create you know generate electricity pull in a couple of generators and use that you know use those to to get the the uh the energy out of the burners convert it to electricity and then throw in some miners and a satellite uplink and you got yourself a mining operation out in the middle of nowhere that is going to clean up all the forest slash you need a chipper though so there's i mean it's not like it's not that it's not difficult to do of course stuff like that logistically is kind of kind of hard and yeah it's kind of expensive but if you're getting free energy and you're cleaning up the you know the environment in say like a for you know a forestry operation i don't know man i mean that's I can see why you would want to say, okay, well, now we're ESG compliant and you're generating like, you know, charcoal on the other end is if you can get it into the soil, that's just good for the soil. It really is. There's no argument against putting charcoal into the soil as being bad for the environment. We all, most people that have anything to, that knows anything about this will tell you, no, you want, you want carbon in the soil. A, it sequesters it forever. Unless you dig it back up and burn it, it's going to stay there basically forever. And it causes, it's like a, it's like a coral reef in the soil for soil biology to have, you know, condominiums and apart, apartments and, and they live there and they create more little critters and they go out and they play in the soil. And while they do that, they make nutrients available to roots for new trees to grow. Uh, you do this at municipal, you know, waste dumps for all the, the <clears throat> limbs that have come down in storms. All of the people that are dumping grass clippings, all the organic stuff that's coming through, it, that's all energy. Everywhere you look is energy. Everything in the universe is made out of energy. It may seem solid to you, but the great guts and feathers of all mass, even if you're holding on to like a gold coin, the great guts and feathers of that coin is actually empty space. I know it's bizarre, but this is the way chemistry works. It's just everything is made out of energy. All right. So once you get that through your head, it starts to become very evident that will work. You know what, what types of mass are problematic and how can we harvest the energy out of that? Once you get that, well, all of a sudden, I kind of don't need to hook up to the grid. And the more, the more and more Bitcoin miners that are off-grid and distributed around the world, the better off we are. I'm just saying. So <clears throat> think about, you know, think, try to look at, like, go out today and look at anything that you think is solid and mass and realize that that mass is composed 100% of two things, empty space and pure energy. Now, let's do this one. The lesson of BitConnect, promoters can be liable. So when you're promoting your shitcoin fraud, uh, be aware the SEC may not look too kindly upon that. David Morris tells us more about it. <coughs> On Friday, May the 28th, the United States Securities and Exchange Commission announced civil securities fraud charges against five United States promoters of BitConnect a fraud that operated along the lines of a pyramid scheme from roughly 2016 to 2018. Newer entrants to the cryptocurrency world might not recognize the name, but BitConnect was a huge story and an important, very negative part of the evolution of cryptocurrency. The looming downfall and its proponents, including some who are still active in the crypto sphere today, has some important takeaways. What's most striking is that the SEC has targeted five BitConnect promoters, not the actual creator and mastermind of the scheme, allegedly an Indian man who appears in the Friday charging documents, but is not named nor charged, which is weird. That leads to a couple of important questions. First, do the charges assume that these promoters knew that BitConnect was a scam? And if not, does the filing imply greater scrut uh, scrutiny of other people who regularly promote or endorse crypto projects, scams or not? But first, a refresher. 
On paper, BitConnect was a leading platform. That's in quotes. <clears throat> you sent them Bitcoin and BitConnect promised to use that Bitcoin with their, quote, trading bot and volatility software, end quote. This bot, BitConnect claimed, could produce immense returns whether Bitcoin went up or down as much as 40% returns per month, <laughs> according to promotional materials. These returns were tracked only on BitConnect's website and were paid out in the BitConnect token rather than BTC. Even then, actually withdrawing funds from BitConnect was a laborious and eventually impossible process involving multiple conversions and very long waits. Even for relative financial novices, this should be multiple red, there should be multiple red flags here. First and foremost, 40% monthly returns compound to roughly 3,900% annual return on your investment, a rate that would turn just $100 into $4,050 within one year. <clears throat> this certainly qualifies as a promise of outsized returns, which the SEC lists as a common theme of crypto frauds. The premise of a trading bot is just as suspect. To even theoretically profit from volatility during a bear market, a bot would have to be able to short or bet against Bitcoin at very high speeds. That may have been possible to some degree. <clears throat> BitMEX already had launched Bitcoin short options, but would have been a huge technical and infrastructure challenge. More importantly, even the best high-frequency trading strategies on Wall Street, the grown-up term for a volatility bot, are high-volume, low-margin operations, and even the highest performers in their best years return roughly 60 to 70% annually. Of course, BitConnect's target audience was people who didn't know or understand these basics, small-time retail investors, not just in the U.S., but in places like India and Africa, where financial literacy is even lower. The scale of the fraud was huge, taking in approximately $2 billion from would-be investors, according to the SEC. That success came largely because BitConnect mimicked the multi-level marketing strategies of companies like Avon and Herbalife. Most countries had a national promoter and numerous regional promoters who arranged local events and promotional talks. They also, particularly in the United States, produced immense amounts of social media content promoting BitConnect and including affiliate codes that helped promoters earn immense referral fees. <clears throat> According to Friday's charges, Michael Noble, also known as Michael Crypto, was paid $731,000 for allegedly recruiting 1,000 investors. These numbers weren't publicly known at the time, but they're high enough to constitute another major sign of fraud. The other defendants include Craig Grant, Ryan Massen, and Trevon Brown, a.k.a. Trevon James, all accused of acting as regional BitConnect promoters in the United States. In addition, Joshua Jeppesen was allegedly a continental promoter who oversaw regional and national promoters, according to the SEC. Trayvon James may be the most widely known of those accused. He was a massive YouTube and social media presence during the scam's heyday and remarkably open in the aftermath of its collapse. Uh, James's most infamous moment was likely his confused declaration, quote, You didn't lose your money. Now you have your, uh, technically, you kind of lost your money, end quote. What's really significant about James being named in the lawsuit is he, at the very least, did a great impression of being an honest enthusiast of BitConnect, and there's no allegation he played a role in creating the scheme. For those who comment or make videos about crypto projects, this might create some anxiety about legal risks. If you endorse something that winds up being a scam, are you at risk of SEC attention? First and foremost, the best way to stay safe is not to take undisclosed payments in exchange for promotion. According to the SEC, the four regional promoters, Brown or Trayvon James, Grand, Masson, and Noble, made between $475,000 and $1.3 million each for their promotional work. Jeppesen, the Continental promoter, allegedly took home over $2.6 million. The SEC says that put them afoul of touting laws, which I wrote about last week after Soldier Boy inadvertently revealed he was being paid to promote Safer Mars. The second set of charges focused on the lower level promoters is that none were registered broker dealers, even though they received payment based on how many people they helped buy positions in BitConnect. 
But the most interesting and enlightening element of the SEC's charges are that a completely different charge is reserved for Jeppesen, whom the SEC accuses of aiding and abetting a securities violations. An accusation of aiding and abetting, even in a civil context, involves an assessment of the defendant's state of mind. Anderson Kill Crypto and securities lawyer Stephen Pally told Coindesk that includes whether the person actually knew he or she was promoting a fraud. Though I didn't see anything clearly spelled out in the charging documents, this might indicate the SEC has evidence Jeppesen knew that BitConnect was a scam all along, but promoted it anyway. That the other four defendants are not being charged with aiding and abetting by contrast may indicate the SEC doesn't have evidence that they were in on the fraud. That's a very important lesson for those who are in the crypto sphere. Even if you don't know something is a fraud, you can be vulnerable to legal actions if you get paid to promote it. In multi-level marketing schemes in particular, <clears throat> sorry, in particular, the line between a victim and a perpetrator is often fairly fuzzy. Someone who really believes in a fake or scam project can enthusiastically sell it to friends and family while also ultimately getting ripped off. Some of the biggest promoters of OneCoin were themselves true believers and lost immense amounts of money when it folded. A seemingly important signal of the state of mind of the BitConnect defendants would have been whether and how much the promoters themselves invested in BitConnect, but there's no information about that in the charges. It's also notable two other high-profile uh, U.S. BitConnect promoters, Craig Grant and Crypto Nick, were not charged. That may mean the SEC determined that they were victims as much as perpetrators. Oh, fuck you. Crypto Nick was... Crypto Nick knew he was just as bad as Trayvon James. I'm sorry, but if you had lived through that shit and, and watched Crypto Nick talk, he was literally on par with Trayvon James as far as how much he was promoting, what he was saying about BitConnect, how much he was taking in, or at least how much he was talking about taking in. It was ridiculous. I mean, it was just, I can't believe they did not charge Crypto Nick. Talking about dodging a bullet. Continuing. But it may also mean they're next in line and will be separately charged later, and that's the final important takeaway. Just because a few years pass does not mean financial fraudsters have gotten away scot-free. BitConnect collapsed in January of 2018, nearly three and a half years ago, an eternity in crypto time, but not terribly long by SEC standards, and the delay might not have gained the defendants very much. They face having to return everything they earned and more. As the saying goes, the wheels of justice grind exceedingly slow, but they grind exceedingly fine. So, the lesson to be learned, this is why, first of all, this is why I Bitcoin. I don't have to worry about this shit because there's no central authority. There's no one creator. Or, and, and, if there, and if Satoshi Nakamoto was just one person, that dude left in 2011. And the, the coins that we associate, the early coins mine that we associate with Satoshi Nakamoto have never moved. I that's everything else is a scam. I mean, when you know, in the SEC, honestly, at this point, if they're going to do this to BitConnect, when are they going to come after Ethereum? Because that thing is a scam. I'm sure that even Vitalik doesn't think it's a scam, but it has all the hallmarks of a scam. It's just ridiculous. So anyway, now on to Russians, because apparently the Russians are doing what Russians do. Uh, yeah, uh, Helen Parts is going to tell us about it from Cointelegraph. <clears throat> The Russian central bank policies have stopped Tinkoff from offering crypto trading, as uh, the CEO says. Uh, Tinkoff, a major private bank in Russia, is struggling to offer cryptocurrency trading to its clients due to the central bank's tough stance on digital assets. Tinkoff CEO Oliver Hughes said that the digital bank is willing to offer crypto trading services but is restrained by the Bank of Russia's policies, CNBC reports. The executive announced the news at the St. Petersburg International Economic Forum on Thursday, stating, quote, there is no mechanism for us to offer that product to them in Russia at the moment because the central bank has this very tough position, end quote. <clears throat> Hughes said that the bank has seen growing demand from its customers to invest in cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, noting that there are qualified investors who know what they're doing. 
the CEO noted that there are still certain concerns over the use of cryptocurrencies and money laundering and high volatility risks. Quote, hopefully over time this will evolve and we'll be able to achieve the aims of the central bank, making sure that there's no money laundering issues, making sure we're protecting investors, but also offering products in a responsible way, Hugh said. <clears throat> Tinkoff is one of the most popular banks in Russia, ranked the third top bank by demand after state-backed Sberbank and the VTB as of September 2020, according to a study by Deloitte. The bank is known for its services, Tinkoff Investments, which allows private investors to invest in products like stocks, bonds, and currencies. In February, a spokesperson from Tinkoff Investments told Cointelegraph that Tinkoff was not planning to launch cryptocurrency trading because of the legal status of crypto in Russia had not been determined yet. In legal terms, crypto is not money, not property, not information, and not a means of payment, the representative said. Russia officially adopted its major cryptocurrency law, quote, on digital financial assets, end quote, in January of this year. Last month, local regulators initiated a partial lift on the Russian ban of crypto payments as the DFA prohibits the use of crypto as a payment method. So, a bank wants to do business in Russia, but the onerous Russian laws are stopping them from doing so. I don't know, you know, who knows, but... Again, and I'll, I'll, I'll say it again, I'm not worried about Russia, <clears throat> China, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, North America, and basically Europe. I, I just, I, I literally could give less of a shit because the majority of the population of the planet lives outside of those countries. I also honestly don't care, care that much about, about India because all these very large, highly centralized uh, countries have everything to lose and almost nothing to gain, at least from their standpoint, from Bitcoin succeeding in their countries. That's why I'm looking at Ghana, you know, El Salvador, Costa Rica, you know, places like this that are really going to start blooming and coming into their own because they're not huge countries with massive populations and they're not quite so centralized. Yes, centralization is there but not like it is in Australia or India or God forbid China. Okay. It looks nothing. It's nothing like that. <clears throat> so they have the best, the first best chance of changing their fortunes going forward in the future by using Bitcoin. Just, just saying. So whatever Russia does, Russia is going to do. Although I have a gut feeling that Russia would be the first centralized country to kind of go, you know, we probably got to get off this fiat bullshit. I don't know. Just, just, just a gut feeling. We'll, we'll see what, we'll see what they actually do. Now, Hamas sees a surge in Bitcoin donations amidst Israel-Palestine conflict. Okay, this is a decrypt uh, article. So let's be very, very careful because decrypt is becoming uh, a bad actor in this space. Now they say in the headline, I haven't read this yet, okay? The headline says Hamas sees surge in Bitcoin donations amidst the Israel-Palestine conflict. Let's see if Scott Cipollina starts relabeling it cryptocurrency in the actual article because that seems to, it seems to be <clears throat> a trend with Decrypt that good news about Bitcoin in the headline, it'll say cryptocurrency. And in the body, they'll start talking about Bitcoin. If it's bad news, they start the headline with Bitcoin in it. And then we find out in the article that it's really more about shitcoinery. Okay, so let's be careful about this. <clears throat> According to a senior Hamas official quoted in Wall Street Journal, the Palestinian mil militant group Hamas has witnessed a surge in Bitcoin donations since the outbreak of the armed conflict with Israel last month. The cryptocurrency market has allowed Hamas which rules the Gaza Strip and is considered a terrorist group by the U.S., U.K., and others to circumvent international sanctions. Quote, there was definitely a spike, and in brackets it says, in Bitcoin donations, end quote. <clears throat> the Hamas official said, adding, quote, some of the money gets used for military purposes to defend the basic rights of Palestine. Given that Hamas has been labeled a terrorist organization by many of the world's powers, it has been locked out of the global financial system. As a result, it's turned to more inventive funding sources like 
cryptocurrency donations. Here we go. The Hamas official, who did not want to be named, did not declare exactly how much Bitcoin the group has received, but they did say its proportion of overall revenue for the group is growing. What's more, this is not the first time Hamas has turned to Bitcoin for revenue. In 2019, the Al-Qassam Brigades, Hamas's military wing, launched an online call for Bitcoin donations. The group boasted that Bitcoin donations were untraceable and would be used for violent causes, the United States Department of Justice said last year. Ha! The cryptocurrency initiative came alongside similar campaigns from Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State. In August of 2020, the U.S. Department of Justice announced that it had dismantled all three terror financing campaigns, seizing millions of dollars over 300 cryptocurrency accounts, four websites, and four Facebook pages. Groups that have been targeted by anti-terror measures have, have to go about their calls for Bitcoin donations carefully. In Hamas's case, the group's military wing has turned to Telegram, an encrypted messaging service. Per the Wall Street Journal, the Al-Qassam channel has gained 261,000 followers, six times more than the official Hamas channel. Other groups, like Islamic State, once turned to a now-defunct anonymous <clears throat> messaging app called BCM, an acronym for Beyond Communication Matters. Telegram now requires a phone number before a user can register an account. Before BCM closed down, users were not required to provide any identifying information to use the service. Users were also able to create groups of up to 100,000 people. BCM previously did not comment on this issue. Other extremist groups have turned to cryptocurrency donations to finance their activities too. Earlier this year, a French donor paid over $500,000 in Bitcoin to quote, far-right activists and internet personalities that took part in the Capitol Hill riots on January the 6th. Per a chain analysis report, 28.15 Bitcoin was sent on December the 8th to 22 separate addresses, many of whom belonged to members of the far-right that took part in the riots. Prove it. Prove it. If you don't have the evidence, then you ain't got proof. And if you ain't got proof, well, you ain't got shit. I'm not sure where this, what, if, if this piece was supposed to do anything but shed a bad light on Bitcoin. Because I know for a fact, after reading tons and tons of articles over the last three years, that Bitcoin is, is not the predominant cryptocurrency being used in, in, in this particular style of, of use case. It's everything. Yet here we go. <clears throat> Scott Cipollina is basically just keeps, he just keeps saying it's Bitcoin that's doing it. It's, it's not anything else. And then, then he'll say cryptocurrency. No, 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 it's Bitcoin. So we got to be really careful going forward with, with things like Cointelegraph and Decrypt. Because I'm starting, you know, for over the past, I don't know, probably six, four to six months, I've seen them turn into NFT hogs. And then now we're getting into just open bashing of Bitcoin as, as a, quote, trusted media source. So be careful out there, ladies and gentlemen. Now, <clears throat> Hungarian Bitcoin group is going to erect a statue honoring Satoshi Nakamoto. Namcios has it for Bitcoin Magazine. Yeah. But thank God for Bitcoin Magazine, something that I don't have to cringe every time I read. Hungary will erect a life-size bronze bust honoring Bitcoin's creator Satoshi Nakamoto in Budapest. The initial design plans to depict a hooded feature that is meant to depict the pseudonymous creator as well as the people of the internet per a report by Hungary Today. Andreas Gufor, the project's initiator, said that the Bitcoin creator's real-world identity doesn't matter. Instead, he claimed Nakamoto's invention is what opened a new chapter in the history of the internet, according to the report. In light of Nakamoto's unknown real identity, the sculpture will have a mirrored surface as its face. The idea is to allow each observer to see themselves when standing in front of the bronze bust, reinforcing the idea that any visitor should see themselves in Nakamoto. Gifori later added, per the report, that Nakamoto's invention eliminates distress between people and can make the world a better place in many areas, and that seems to be a legacy worth commemorating. By hosting Nakamoto's life-size bronze bust, Hungary will reportedly become the world's first country with a statue of the creator of Bitcoin. Rika Gurgli, 
and Tomas Gilly are the two sculptors who designed the bust. Four Hungarian organizations are financing the project, Crypto Academy, Blockchain Hungary Association, Blockchain Budapest, and Mr. Coin. They are being added or aided by 27 other organizations and individuals. The bust will be raised in Gafisoft Park in Budapest 3rd District. So if you're listening from Hungary, uh, you know, go to Budapest's 3rd District, wherever that is, and go check it out once it's done. Hey, let's run the numbers. Flammable liquids doing well again today. Uh, oil, well, West Texas Intermediate is up 0.07%. Brent North Sea is up a tenth of a point. Uh, natural gas is down one and a quarter. It's coming in at $3.03 per thousand cubic feet. By the way, West Texas Intermediate coming in at $68.88. Brent North Sea, $71.44. Now, before I move on, <clears throat> I, I have to note that in my local community, uh, as of yesterday, gas prices at the pump increased by 20 cents a gallon. It went from like, I don't know, what was it, like 245 a gallon to 265 overnight. Now, so I don't know if that's due directly to the, the relatively large increases in uh, the crude oil prices over the last couple of days, but if I were to actually do the math and look at the percentage, it, the percentage of oil uh, going up versus the percentage of what gasoline went up, those two don't mix. Gasoline went up a much larger percentage than oil has over the last couple of days, it seems. So I don't know if, it's a, if there's a refining issue going on somewhere or what, but <clears throat> I am paying two dimes more per gallon at the pump, just so you know. All the shiny metal rocks are down. And gold taking one of the larger hits, 1.41% to the downside. It is now back below $1,900 per ounce at $1,882.70. Silver took the biggest hit, two and a half points to the downside. It's coming in at $2,750 per ounce. Platinum is down 1.7. Copper is uh, took a hit too, two dollars to the or two percent to the downside. Palladium is also down almost two percent. Agricultural futures are mixed. The biggest mover is going to be, oh uh, God, soybean up 1.36% in case you were wondering. Sugar, however, has fallen by over a full percent. Dow futures are down a half a point. S&P futures are down 0.6. NASDAQ futures down 0.9. S&P mini is down 0.65. The 30-year the Treasury uh, futures are up by 0 0.02. Everything else is down by uh, considerable amounts, honestly. All right, real money, $39,134.33. $248,000 transactions on Bitcoin performed in the last 24 hours. That is 10,344 transactions on average every hour. With a mere 389.2 thousand BTC being sent in the last 24 hours, that's 16,218 BTC being sent every hour on the hour on average with an average transaction value of 1.5 BTC and a median transaction value dipping to 0 0.22, sorry, 0 0.022 BTC or about 865 bucks. Blocks time, block times are a bit under 10 minutes, 9 minutes and 52 seconds. We have 0.35 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis, 51.8 BTC being taken overall in the last 24 hours. <clears throat> Hash rate has increased by 9.26%. We are back up to 168.9 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Doge sitting at 40.9 United States pennies. That's 40 cents. Ah, God, if he would just shut his mouth, I swear it'd be so much better of a world. Okay, uh, we have $726.8 billion of Bitcoin market capitalization representing 5.93% of gold's entire market cap. We can now buy 20.6 ounces of gold with one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,725,535.25 BTC in circulation. 
There are 10,712 transactions waiting on 14 blocks to clear. So it looks like the mempool finally cleared sometime yesterday and is building back up this morning. We have 1,417.21 BTC in the Lightning Network. That is has a value of $55.0 million. That's being run over 11,649 nodes that we know about with 48,092 channels in operation. The Tor side of the Lightning Network is at 62.6%, which I believe is yet another all-time high. The Tor capacity is 886.5 BTC of what, and being run over 5,954 Tor nodes that we know about. We have Taproot activation coming in at 97.88 blocks are signaling for Taproot. It, let's see if Mara got on their ass. Nope, Mara has mined nine blocks, zero of which are signaling for Taproot. The only other holdouts are unrecognized miners and unidentified BTC pool participants. Everybody else is signaling for Taproot. We have a current total signaling of 98%, actually 98.34%. Only Marapool, which has only a 1.36% share of all total Bitcoin mining, they're the only ones that actually have a substantial percentage that are not signaling for Taproot. So as normal, fuck those guys. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. We'll start this one off with the inevitable. NFT sales are down 90% since market peak. Greg Thompson has it for Cointelegraph. Uh, Cointelegraph. The non-fungible token wing of the crypto space has declined even more rapidly than the broader market in the past month or so. After sales of NFT sank 90% since they peaked in May. Data provided by Protos paints a picture of an NFT market in the midst of implosion as sales across all categories continue to decline rapidly. After $102 million worth of NFTs were sold in a single day on May the 3rd, just $19 million worth were sold over the past week. Over $170 million worth of NFTs were sold in the seven-day window on either side of the market cap, equating to a near 90% decline since then. The number of NFT wallets showing any signs of activity on a daily basis is also down 70% since early May, after falling from 12,000 to 3,900. NFT sales and wallet movements were down across the entire range of token categories spanning gaming, decentralized finance, collectibles, art, utility, metaverse, and sports. Crypto collectibles were the most purchased NFTs during the market peak and remain so today, having declined by just 66% in the past month. The second most popular NFT category relates to sports tokens, which showed the most resilience during the market drop, with active wallets having declined just 55% since early May. Current data on nonfungible.com shows collectibles like CryptoPunks and sports tokens to have processed the most volume in the past seven days, making up close to 40% of the total NFT volume. Protos's analysts were quick to conclude that the NFT bubble has already burst. They wrote, quote, all things considered, the data suggests the NFT bubble lasted just four months and it popped about this time in May. NFTs provoked equal parts of hype and confusion when they emerged as the crypto space's latest craze earlier this year, Following in the footsteps of the tokenization movement, see Denticoin, the ICO phase, and DeFi and yield farming. Depending on one's capacity for optimism, NFTs are, or were, either the hottest new technological invention <clears throat> to emerge in the blockchain realm, or an absolute scourge on the crypto space, which provided little value and a whole lot of noise. Regardless of where one stands on the matter, the noise would seem to be dying down. Okay, we tried to tell you, didn't we? That's what we should be saying. But uh, before we do that, we're going to have to wait for the second surge of NFTs. 
or actually we should be waiting for the third surge of NFTs. Why do I say third? Because this whole NFT craze that we all heard about over the last few months is not the first time this shit happened. Way back in 2016, possibly even into the 2015s, we had rare Pepe's. That's right, NFTs were done years ago and they died out. Why? Because there's no utility to them. You're holding a piece of digital signature that somehow or another allows you access to a third-party website so that you can quote-unquote view your art. So basically, you don't even, you don't even have, honestly, this is what it's like. It's a hybrid situation between owning your own keys and owning your own NFT versus you don't own your own key. Yes, you you have a key to unlock a museum that nobody else can unlock, and you can go see your NFT in that museum, but that's not your museum. The museum is owned by a third party. If you don't, if you can't figure out where this is going from here, I, I can't help you. You don't own the NFT. You own a digital signature. And if the third party that is hosting the actual digital artwork goes offline, or I don't know, gets a bomb dropped on them or hit by a meteor, all you have is a digital signature for something that you can no longer access. Please tell me why somebody would pay $500,000 for that or a million nine or $6 million or how, I can't remember what the highest price paid for one of these digital pieces of garbage is, but we told you that this shit was gonna go away. And I'll bet you my bottom dollar that in a couple of years from now, it'll resurrect itself into, hey, look, it's this new form of, of non-fungible token. We'll call it NFTs. It's never been done before. For the third time, it's never been done before. European Union to reveal plans for digital wallet. Run, do not walk to your nearest exits when they come after you with this bullshit. I guarantee it. Coindesk and Jamie Crawley tells us about it. <clears throat> The EU is set to announce plans for a digital wallet to store payment details and identity credentials, among other information, according to reports. The plans follow request <clears throat> from member states to offer a secure way for citizens to access public services, Reuters reported Tuesday, citing the Financial Times. The wallet would store passwords and payment details allowing access to local government websites and bill payments using a single digital identity. EU officials are in talks with member states about a rollout. The wallet is expected to be operational in around a year's time, according to the report. That's all the information that, that we're getting out of Coindesk about this. So it's real scant, not exactly sure what it is, but one thing it did do was just give me the tingles, man. When I, This is something that you don't want to have any part of if if you can escape it. How does one escape this stuff? Well, the only thing that I can recommend is moving out of the city so that you're not dependent on municipal services. Then do what you can to become self-sufficient. It doesn't mean that you have to be 100% self-sufficient, but for all the stuff that you can do for yourself, Learn how to do for yourself and do it for yourself. The, the least amount of edge that you have rubbing up against the state or a local municipality, the better. That, because the more contact area you have is the more surface attack or attack surface that you have. You can think of yourself as like Bitcoin. You try to minimize your attack surface by minimizing the amount of services from the state municipality, county, whatever that you depend on. The more you can minimize that, the more you minimize your attack surface and the less and less information idiots with an EU digital wallet can glean from your ass. Chances are good in the future, we're all gonna have to use something like this for at least paying taxes or whatever, because I, I, as much as I hate them, I don't think taxes are going away, at least not anytime soon. They never have before, <clears throat> but just be aware that this shit is on the horizon and it's not going to go away and it is going to get worse. Thank God for Bitcoin. 
Okay, now Apple's <clears throat> Steve Wozniak loses Bitcoin scam case against YouTube. Apparently a judge didn't like what the Woz had to say. Helen Parts and Cointelegraph have it. A recent court ruling said that video hosting giant YouTube is not responsible for cryptocurrency related scams posted on its platform. Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak failed to support his lawsuit against YouTube over an advert using his image to promote a fake Bitcoin giveaway, Bloomberg reports. Santa Clara County Superior Court Judge Sunil Kulkarinia said in a tentative ruling Wednesday that YouTube and its parent firm Google are protected by Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, a federal law shielding internet platforms from responsibility for content posted by users. Wozniak sued YouTube in July of last year over a typical bogus crypto giveaway that stated that anyone who sends cryptocurrency to a certain address will receive more cryptocurrency in return. The Apple co-founder argued that YouTube not only failed to remove the fraudulent ads, but materially contributed to the scam by selling targeted ads, driving traffic to the videos, and falsely verifying the YouTube channels that carry the videos. Quote, if YouTube had acted quickly to stop, stop this to a reasonable extent, we would not be here now. What human would see posts like this and not ban them as criminal immediately, he said. In the suit, Wozniak reportedly noted that similar crypto scams on YouTube also capitalized on other tech celebrities like Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates and Tesla CEO Elon Musk. However, the judge said that those factors were not enough to challenge the immunity provided by Section 230. The judge gave Wozniak 30 days to try to revise his complaint. Wozniak is not the first entrepreneur to lose this battle against bogus YouTube ads. Last July, YouTube lawyers filed a dismissal bid in a similar case brought by a major crypto firm, Ripple Labs, arguing that the platform was not liable for any content, including scams, provided by third parties. The latest court ruling comes the same day Google overturned its 2018 policy banning crypto exchanges from using its advertising services. So the Waz got his ass handed to him in court. We'll see what he does. He may drop it. He may have better things to do, better fish to fry. Who knows? But uh, former Congressman Ron Paul is saying that Bitcoin is money and should be taxed in the same way. I, I'm sorry, but that really threw me for a loop. Ron Paul is one of the first people to say tax is theft. I'm, I'm kind of confused here. Let's find out more from Cointelegraph's Brian Quarmby. Former presidential candidate and Congressman Ron Paul has renewed calls for Bitcoin to be legalized as money. Oh, and not taxed. Wait a minute. What, what the hell happened? Hold on. Hold on. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I got confused by the headline. Yes, if I give you money, that transaction is not is not taxed. Like if I just go and like, I don't know, buy a candy bar or something like that, that shit's not taxed. Now, if I sell you a Lamborghini and you give me a lot of money, well, I'm selling you I'm selling you a large amount of good. So that shit is taxed. But for just general walking around getting a sandwich cup of coffee, you know, buying a dress, you know, some shorts or some shit like that, you're taxed at the state rate if they have an income or, or like a, like Texas has like, I think it's eight and a quarter percent sales tax. So you are taxed on it, but you're not taxed as in, it's not taxed as like income. So that's what they're saying. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be so confused there, but whatever. <clears throat> Paul is a staunch libertarian and author of the Bitcoin favorite in the Fed who has advocated for the legalization of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies in the past. The former congressman has also regularly taken aim against the Federal Reserve for its unchecked money printing since the pandemic began. Ahead of his appearance at the Miami Bitcoin conference on June the 3rd, the 85-year-old spoke with streaming financial news provider Kitco News and noted that his goal is to help legalize the competition and then I think people will sort it out. Freedom of choice will sort it out. The former congressman described gold and Bitcoin as money in competition to the United States dollar and highlighted that a major reason investors seek out such alternative forms of money is to hedge against the declining value of the U.S. dollar. Paul believes that for this reason, alternate forms of money should be taxed the same as fiat currency. Quote, right now, if you buy and sell gold, you get it taxed. They can do that. If you make a profit in Bitcoin, you read stories about people being taxed on it. 
You can't tax money, you don't tax it. If you bought a dollar a year ago and it went down 10%, you cannot take a loss because your dollar lost its value, end quote. Paul believes that U.S. regulatory bodies are moving to regulate and further tax Bitcoin because it's competing with the United States dollar and noted that governments throughout history have been notoriously very eager to have control of the money and predicted that they will never give up control. Quote, but I would apply the same concern to gold because, you know, what was the first thing Roosevelt did in 1933? He immediately took all the gold from all the people, he said. When asked about the subject matter for his address at the Miami Bitcoin conference, Paul emphasized that he won't necessarily be speaking on the technical significance of blockchain technology or from a pro-Bitcoin perspective, but more from the angle of letting the market decide in the freedom of choice. Quote, I won't try to explain exactly technically whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. I will argue more the case for the legalization of freedom of choice and that the people should make their own decisions and not the government. End quote. Well, okay, so now it all makes sense to me. Sorry about that. I didn't mean to get all confused. So the ECB says the digital digital euro may be needed to combat artificial currencies. I've never seen anything so artificial as fiat currencies yet. Here we are, the ECB calling everything other than their own artificial fiat bullshit artificial. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, peak, peak 2021, guys. Brian Quarmby is also writing this for Cointelegraph. The European Central Bank has warned that a CBDC or digital euro may be required to head off the specter of artificial currencies dominating cross-border payments. In ECB's annual review of the euro, dubbed the International Role of the Euro, economists Massimo Ferrari and Arnaud Mill conveyed concerns over the rise of artificial currencies led by unnamed foreign tech giants, likely a veiled reference to Facebook's DM project. Quote, one concern could be a situation in which domestic and cross-border payments are dominated by non-domestic providers, including foreign tech giants potentially offering artificial currencies in the future. End quote. Quote, Not only could this threaten the stability of the financial system, but individuals and merchants alike would be vulnerable to a small number of dominant providers with strong market power, end quote. The ECB has long held concerns over the rise of artificial currencies or stablecoins in Europe and previously asked EU lawmakers for veto powers regarding private stable projects such as Facebook's Diem coin. The ECB has taken a careful approach to launching a digital euro with ECB's president, Christine Lagarde. She's, by the way, a a convicted felon, anyway, just saying. Uh, Noting in January that it's going to take a good chunk of time to make sure it's safe and adding, quote, I would hope that it's no more than five years, end quote. Ferrari and Mel's report on CBDCs and global currencies weighed up several scenarios in which the need to issue a digital euro may become important. The Economist emphasized the need to compete with big tech firms for payment products and services and noted that bundling a digital euro with complementary services could be a way to do so. Quote, a CBDC could facilitate the digitization of information exchanges and payments through e-invoices, e-receipts, e-identity, and e-signatures, allowing the intermediaries to offer services with higher value added and technological content at lower cost, end quote. According to the report, deploying the digital euro may also be needed to enhance cross-border payment infrastructures. The authors note that a digital euro could negate the need to use foreign currencies for international transactions and reduce the cost associated with doing so, which in turn would, quote, facilitate an expansion of global e-commerce. Low transaction costs and bundling effects could increase its appeal for invoicing cross-border transactions as a means of payment and as a unit to settle current transactions, end quote. The report also stated that the specific design features of a CBDC would be important for its global outreach and emphasized the need to incentivize the use of a digital euro through interoperability, the anonymity of users, and being able to conduct offline payments. However, The Economist stressed that anonymity would also have to be tempered with the need to have enough information on CBDC users in order to build safeguards and identity misuse of funds for terrorism financing, cross-border criminal activities, and you guessed it, money laundering. 
I'm just surprised that they didn't put child trafficking in here. I mean, that's it's for the children, guys. It's always for the children. Now, a thought occurs to me about this thing. <clears throat> they they want to be able to have the euro be the euro for Europe. Okay. They're not worried about oh, I don't know, like right now, like like I don't know, the the Japanese yen. What they're worried about is competition that not only competes with the with the euro itself, but a bunch of other foreign currencies. Now, don't get me wrong, the ECB and the and the Eurozone is not acting in a self-protective mode for just the European Union. No, 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 no. They are totally thrown in with the United States, Canada, Australia, the United States, India, not so much China and Russia because we uh, either they've manufactured those guys as as like the enemy to be watched so that we have a distraction or they really are. I'm not sure about Russia, China. I, okay, I, I get it, but Russia, I'm not so sure. I think that's completely manufactured, just like it was probably manufactured for the you know the end of the why the Cold War lasted so long. You know, Russia and the United States could have been great friends, but. It just wasn't going to happen. What I'm saying here, though, is I'm looking at it as they're they're worried about corporations gaining control. Specifically, they're worried about corporations gaining control and having footprints all over the world. And they're specifically even more worried about a very small few, very humongous, right, corporations having this power of cross-border payments because of centralization. The European Union even is scared of complete centralization because short of going and and just taking over somebody's land, you know, with war and war machines and boots on the ground, you can't do it. But guess who can? Tech giants, without firing a fucking shot, can literally coagulate all these countries together under one currency. And it scares the ECB as much as it should scare you. You don't want this, but here's the thing. We talk about decentralization. We talk about nodal infrastructure. We talk about like things being spread out as being good. Okay, yes, I I don't disagree with that. However, all I have to do is look at a planet and realize that like the Earth, Venus and Mars, Mercury, uh, the, the inner rocky planets were all aggregated from a distributed amount of dust circling the sun after the formation of the sun. It, the, the sun, once it ignited, kind of the solar wind pushed all the dust and particles and gases, the lighter gases went to the outer planets and formed Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, that kind of shit. While the heavier particles didn't get pushed out as far, so you got separation. All right, that's a centralization right there. It centralized the rocky material from the gaseous material. Time goes by, gravity starts to work. And then one particle gloms onto another because of its proximity effect and, and the calculation of gravity. That particle is now twice as heavy and has more of a chance of being aggregated to by another smaller particle because of the force of gravity. Time goes on. You get rocky planets. The same shit happens in the outer planets, in the gas giants, right? Gas, as a particle, while not as heavy as a rocky particle, is still bound by the rules and laws of gravity and they start glomming onto each other hydrogen finds another one and they kind of start hanging out and then that has more mass than the original you get what i'm saying and then all of a sudden you get the gas giants centralization happens in nature depending on the scale at which you're looking at stuff things are either very decentralized or very fucking centralized it's difficult to like somebody could come and argue to me, yeah, but all the stars and all the planets are not in you know one band around the Milky Way. Uh, agreed, there is decentralization, but in the midst of that decentralization, you should be prepared to see instances of concentration and centralization. Both of these things work together. Centralization and decentralization sort of balance each other as entropic 
in entropic part uh, uh, properties. Entropic, and what I mean by that is entropy. <clears throat> entropy is what guarantees that all the gas or all the oxygen in the room isn't going to get sucked into one corner and then you die because of asphyxiation. Entropy has this tendency to spread stuff out. Gravity has a tendency to collect stuff. The ECB is afraid of natural gravity at this point as, as far as this particular article is concerned, and I guarantee you the Fed is too. However, the Fed isn't as worried about ECB. Why? Because most of the tech giants are United States companies. The Fed at this point would probably be more scared that those tech giants start not really recognizing their nation of origin. Now, once that shit happens, watch out. And again, how to guard against this is your lowly pleb. Get out of the cities, try to get some land, learn how to grow food. It's, it's not so bad, guys. I mean, I've met lawyers that are really miserable. They make a shit ton of money, but they have no time to spend it. And they certainly don't have any time to spend with their families. What, what is money versus, you know, being rich versus being wealthy? There's a difference. It depends on what's going to make you happy. And I guarantee you going forward in the future with the centralization of the bullshit that I'm seeing, you don't want to have any part of it. And you want to do everything you can to reduce your attack surface because of it. So, I, you know, there's, there's all manner of books that you can read about it, reducing your attack surface. Learn how to garden, learn how to farm, learn how to, ran, you know, raise animals, learn how to live with less, and you'll end up probably living with a lot more than you ever thought. That's going to do it for the Morning Roundup. I got a joke. I do. Dad says jokes. I wasn't much fun last year having a broken neck, but at least now I can look back and laugh. I'm going to leave you with something that I found interesting. I'm reading a book about humus, which is uh, a major component of soil. I won't get into that. But what I do want to get into to leave you off with is this interesting thing that was said by, like, and I think this was a, a soil scientist from the 60s, was reminding us <clears throat> that the mitochondria in each and every cell, and if you remember back to high school cell biology, there is a little organelle inside of all of your cells, whether it's a kidney cell, a neuron, a heart cell, muscle cell, it's skin cell, it doesn't matter. You, even blood cells have them. Blood cells don't even have a fucking nucleus, right? They're denucleated but they still, have, they still have mitochondria. And they basically eat sugar and shit energy. And that's basically how the cell is able to operate all the other stuff in that cell. Now that's for all cells of all living things on the planet. Everything has an association with the mitochondria. Plants, on the other hand, have both a mitochondria and a chloroplast. Maybe not all plants, but at least green plants that depend on photosynthesis. The interesting thing is, and a lot of people don't know this, is that way back before there was such a thing as a cell with organelles, mitochondria and chloroplast had already existed essentially as single cell organisms. A lot of people can call it, just think bacteria. They, like the chloroplast in its earliest primitive form, had the ability to produce sugars from CO2 and exposure to sunlight. The mitochondria had the ability to break down those sugars and produce ATP, which is an energy kind of an energy. It's a, it's a molecule, but it's like, think of it as money, the energy currency of the cell, which is probably why Buckminster Fullerene or Buckminster Fuller and Ford as humans had the idea that currency should be based on energy, but that's a whole other rabbit hole we don't need to get into. Now, at some point in the past, something happened and cells started forming with other things. And one of those other things was a mitochondria. And then for plants, it was a chloroplast and a mitochondria. Okay. Now, think about that. You've got a cell, and inside that cell are 
are is at least a mitochondria because you're a human, not a plant. It has its own set of DNA. And before it became integrated into the cell, it was by itself and it reproduced all by itself. Okay, think about it, hold on to that. Same thing was done with chloroplast. Now, this soil chemistry was talking about a situation in which you don't want to forget that as plant material decays or like the body of a, like let's say a wild ox is being reabsorbed into the soil, as those cells decay, guess what can possibly happen and what most likely does? The chloroplasts in the plant cell, the mitochondria in the animal cell, and the mitochondria in the plant cell as well, remutate and go back to being able to live outside of the cell. Think about that. It I mean, I'm a biologist and we never talked about that in, in college. Through all cell and molecular biology, never once did any one of my professors even hint at the possibility that when you die, that does not mean that every part of you that made you, you physically dies. That the mitochondria will go on in the soil and live and reproduce and be just fine. And that blew my fucking mind. Again, as a trained cell and molecular biologist, not once was that ever even posited that when you die, not all of you actually dies, that when a plant dies, not all of that plant actually dies, that it feeds the soil, not in just micronutrients and macronutrients, but also in life, that the life in those cells in contact with the soil kept wet enough for the cell walls to break down, lets the, lets the mitochondria and the chloroplast out into the soil where they start doing, where they basically remutate, go back primitive and start reproducing themselves. Wow. Now take that idea, think about society and what's going on. Remember when I was talking about the aggregation through gravity of gases and materials, there is centralization and it's kept at bay by decentralization. Decentralization is kept at bay by massive centralization. There's a balance here. And that's, in my opinion, that's evident in the fact that a major mammal or plant cell can break apart and yet components that were within that cell become independent. You don't have to be dependent on the system is what I'm saying. It, it, it may be a completely different world and you may go through a massive amount of pain in your remutation process but we have got to go back and be feral. We've got to be feral humans, just like the mitochondria as it spills out of a dead animal cell is going to become feral. It's going to remutate and it's going to start doing the, the old things that it used to do. Keep that in mind. If you want to help with the show, you know what to do. Five-star review. Listen to it on Breeze Wallet on a value-to-value -value transaction basis with Podcasting 2.0. And I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.